It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. I was told you were bringing in omelets and waffles. <laughs> Blueberry waffles, just for you. Oh, that's so kind of you. Good morning, everybody. What well, happened to Steve Kelly is what I want to know. I imagine he has found his way to a golf course, although it's <laughs> it's raining. It is raining, isn't it? It had all week to do that and waited till Saturday morning. Well, we are very fortunate to have Scott Beatty leading the show today. I believe you lead the show. No, I'll just... I'm, I'm Willie Hartack. I'm just riding, I'm, <laughs> I'm riding you right to the finish line. This is an honor. I mean, this is a 41-year show now. Yeah. And yeah. this is my first time on it. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I talked to Jim Turpin, uh, I believe that was Friday, yeah, yesterday morning, and and uh, he came in in 1980, right, the start of 1980, after we, uh, Larry Stewart and I started the show a few months before that. So, so I, 1979 is when it started, and it's now 2019, so you figure it out. Well, the start of 1980 is about when I was born. Okay. So, <laughs> you know. Did you listen that year? <laughs> I, I did not. Uh, you know, I had different preferences at the time, but. Well, what uh, I want to know is what you're going to do about the Cubs. You're going to get some relief pitching for those, those guys. That is the those two losses that are the kinds of losses that feel like it's done. Yeah, you you can't say Until the Cubs the next are done. Game. Yeah, I know you can't. <laughs> but that those two back to back walk off losses on a grand slam, and then. Uh, you know, a bunch of walks and an infield single and an. Well, that's ten games that they've blown now. Uh, that the that the relief relief pitchers have blown and. The, there's nothing more devastating to a team than to lead into the ninth inning and lose. I mean, that is true, but it can all be t- – one game and you turn it around, just one game. And they got good pitching, by the way, yesterday from Darvish, which is good. And now if they can get Hamels going and they get uh, – uh, you know, they've got good pitching the last time from Hendricks, basically. So they've had, uh, they've had two good starts, but they, they just couldn't finish. Well, before we go further – Let's tell you about today's lineup, which is it's a nice one, if I do say so myself. Lauren, good job getting all this together here. Brad Underwood will be with us in a few minutes. We'll get him on the phone. He's got some uh, recruiting and other things to get to today, so he'll join us on the phone, but we'll catch up with him after the trip to Italy, hear about the pasta and the gelato and, and the wine and maybe the basketball. Scott Docterman joins us this hour as well. He writes for The Athletic, covers the Iowa Hawkeyes mainly, and also always has an interesting take on the Big Ten as a whole. 10 o'clock hour, noted baseball writer Paul Sullivan from the Chicago Tribune and join us. We've also caught up yesterday with offensive line coach Bob McClain. So Lauren and I will bring you our conversation we did with him. And uh, toward the end of the show, a guy named Chris Willis, he writes and or does research for NFL films, but he's also written a new book on Red Grange. So we'll hear a little bit about that. That's all what is coming our way, as always, here on Saturday Sports Talk. You can join the program, 356-9397, and the Castle Heating and Cooling text line is 351-5357. Adam is uh, manning the controls and the uh, email as well, talk at WDWS, 
com. So those are the ways to get in touch. But, uh, Lauren, as you mentioned right there last night, it was uh, another heartbreaking night for the Cubs. This is how it sounded towards the end of the ball game. It was up, and then it was down. There's a drive out toward the gap. It'll get in there. Lucroy scores. Half around third. Relay to the plate. Not in time. Cubs lead 2-1. to one. Goal time on 3-2. Ground ball up the middle. Pirates win. Another heartbreaking loss for the Cubs. 3-2 the final. Kevin Newman. WGN Sports and Major League Baseball providing those highlights. There was a time when ground balls up the middle were always hits. Mm-hmm. Always. I mean, you know, all those years that I was fooling around pitching, if the ball got past me, it was a hit. We never played the shortstop or the second baseman over behind second like they do today. Now, you see many balls hit between the pitcher's legs, and the guy just feels it very easily behind because they, the switch is on. No switch last night with two out and a 3-2 count in the ninth, in the ninth inning, and the and, uh, and so the ball went through and the Cubs lost. You, you know, balls find holes or don't. I mean, there's, there's no uh, ground balls. You know, 60%, 70% of those are outs. But um, in that case, it went through. And uh, there's not much you can say about it other than you can't walk three guys in the ninth inning. And you, as, soon as, you, as soon as you intentionally walk somebody, it creates a situation, it always creates a situation where you worry as soon as you fall behind the next batter that you might walk him too. Yep, and one of them was intentional, but yep. the point stands. And yep. there were some folks that were upset that David Phelps didn't stay in. He pitched the eighth, mm-hmm. kept the lead for Me two too. to one. If and I got somebody that pitches pretty good in the eighth, I, and, and, I'm, and I'm the Cubs, I leave him in. One more inning isn't going to hurt him. Well, 13 pitches he also, he didn't. it wasn't a laborious yep. inning for him. Yep. And then you bring in Kinsler in a in a one run situation, and he's just been reactivated. Yeah, he hadn't pitched for eleven days, I think, or something like that. And and uh, the other thing is they had Hap on third, and there's some. I, I read a, a, one of the articles by Sharma, uh, who writes for the Athletic, who said that maybe uh, another third baseman would have caught that ball would have, mm. would have, and throw, and made it, gotten the out, but I. I, I don't know, uh, you know, whether that's true or not, but uh, it was a close play, and and hoped uh, Hap didn't come up with it. It was a much better night for the Cardinals. He's been swinging recently on three and zero, and he does here out to right. Nice call, partner. Three run bomb. Three run bomb. Dexter Fowler let it rip on three and zero, and he did. And that's lifted in the air out to center. Spun around. Senzel. Goodbye. It's another home run. This one to center. A line shot off the bat of DeYoung. And the Cardinals add to their lead. Fox Sports Midwest, courtesy highlights. Dan McLaughlin on the call. Your St. Louis Cardinals, Lauren, are in first place. 64 and 56. Cubs are a game behind 64 and 58. Milwaukee two out, 63 and 59. Yeah, it, some of these games almost feel like home run derby. You know, it, it, you can see when the pitcher doesn't have it, and boy, do the batters jump up. There are guys hitting home runs in this in baseball now that it just boggles your mind. If you watch uh, ESPN Sports Baseball, 
it'll just be one home run after another. Just by the dozens. It's actually on a day. It's actually a little boring. <laughs> well, it's yeah, a different kind of baseball than we're used to, and, or and it is, that I'm used to. In, in the old days, it just didn't happen that way. All these home runs to the opposite field and to center field, right center field by a right hand hitter. You just didn't used to see that. Yeah, uh, it, it's These it's definitely just, the ball. Well, now wait a minute. It's the ball. It's the bats. It's the players. The oh, players sure. Players are bigger and stronger. I mean, did you ever see so many great big? Every every time I see a guy, I mean, I'm watching a game that I don't even know who the players are, and I see these guys come to bat. I think, my goodness, look to, at the build on this guy. To me, but the telltale sign is this is the first year that home runs. There's been a significant jump in the number of home runs in Triple A, uh-huh. and this year they started using the same ball as the major leagues. Uh-huh. So. Yes, guys are caring about launch angle. They're swinging different. It's a swing for the fence or strikeout kind of game right now. But double A and single A aren't using Major League Baseball's triple A is. Home runs have significantly increased. It's playing too much of a factor, yeah, that ball. And I everybody, and the players are saying it. I agree. You know, Justin Verlander, he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's saying it's not good. I don't think it's good either, but I mean, I, I think maybe the fans like it. Look at these scores, thirteen to twelve and <laughs> ten to seven. I mean, maybe that's what. I mean, it's, is it boring to see a, a one to nothing game? <laughs> maybe it is. To a, a to baseball purists and who really like to get into strategy, that's an interesting game. Yeah. To an average fan, I don't know. Three five six nine three nine seven on Saturday Sports Talk. Brad Underwood is coming up in a few minutes with us here. We'll catch up on the Italy trip and then Scott Docterman later on in the hour. We go to the phone. Steve is with us. Good morning, Steve. Yes, I was just wondering. You haven't mentioned the White Sox yet. Did yeah. anybody happen to watch the White Sox game last night? And the color analyst was Bill Walton. Yeah, I saw I, some of it. Made I me did. sick. <laughs> it it was a trip. <laughs> Probably literally and figuratively. What'd you think? Well, I always like listening to Bill. He, he gets off on his tangents and so forth. So I just, you know, he gives stuff that you, you know, you like to listen to and hear, but he makes it interesting. He gets people to watch the TV. It, it, it was a, it's a gimmick. I like his shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you calling anyway, in. Would would you want to hear more of it? I think he's doing the whole season or the whole series out there in LA. Do you want to hear more? Is of that it? right? Well, I didn't realize the whole story. I thought it was a one-night stand. Yeah, I'm not sure. Steve Stone's off for the week, so for the weekend. But thanks for calling in, Steve. You're welcome. Bye. Yeah, in case you missed it, Jason Benetti, who was paired with Bill Walton when they were in Maui, and they've done some college games, and they did, uh, I believe, a couple of the Illini games out in Maui, if I recall right. And that was something. And, of course, Illini fans just embrace Bill Walton. But... Bill Walton, they decided to put him on the White Sox broadcast last night. Bill Walton apparently doesn't know much uh, about baseball. I could. White Sox and Angels at the Diamond in the Park. This is your first ever baseball game doing this job, right? This is a job? That's true. Well, I understand that it starts and then you play, yeah. but that the offense can't touch the ball. And that the defense goes first. And that there's no time limits. And you just go until somebody says, it's over. Sounds very much like a dead show. It's a timeless game. I love timelessness. You're timeless. Well, the I've, one been, thing I've... I've been dead 
for quite a few years. And we all may be by the end of the night. The music playing means we are actually out of time. Yeah! Oh, wrong direction. Sorry. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What a crowd here tonight. That was his reaction on a foul ball there at the end. So that was the Bill Walton, a little snippet of it. Oh, I heard Bill it. Walton I, trip. I heard it. I couldn't get to the... I couldn't get to the remote fast enough. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's it's. I, I don't know. But actually, I think for my money, Jason Benetti is one of the best in the business. He does a nice job on the White Sox telecast. But anyway, White Sox, uh, they win, by the way, 7-2. to two. And as we mentioned, Cardinals get a win 13-4, to four, th- uh, four home runs on that on the night, including Dexter Fowler's three-run home run. Uh, training camp for the Illini continues on the football side, but uh, it's closed off now to the fans for the rest of uh, well, the rest of the season, but the rest of training camp as well. And uh, Bears lose in the preseason game last night, thirty-two to thirteen. Don't worry about it because it was basically the scrubs playing. So that's uh, some of what is going on in sports. You see anything happening in terms of the four preseason games in the future? Cutting back on that NFL, cutting back. I'd be fine with it. Uh, you know, it's part of the season ticket, so they're not going to do it, right? Yeah, yeah. But I wonder would they go to would they drop two of those and add two more to the regular season? They've I, been talking about it, but the players I don't think want it because of injury. So, all right, Brad Underwood is on deck. We'll hear about Italia when we come back with Coach Underwood back, and we'll see if he's gotten over his jet lag as well. Saturday Sports Talk, Scott Beatty filling in for Steve Kelly with Lauren Tate. We're back with more in a moment. Nine sixteen on a Saturday morning. Unfortunately, a little rainy and dark here in Champaign. Hope you are enjoying yourself nonetheless. Maybe out doing the errands, working in the garage. Taste or, of Champagne was really good last night. Perfect weather. Oh, good. Ideal, and just packed with people. That thing has really improved over the years. They've really done a nice job with it. All right. I don't think, it, though, it may compare to the food in Italy. And Brad Underwood, head coach for the Illini, back from there. Coach, good morning. Thanks for joining us. And uh, is the body readjusted yet to Central Standard Time? It has not. Good morning, guys. No, I've... Uh... Uh, the, the day after we got back, I was up at 3.30. Uh, just to let everybody know, I did three loads of laundry and watched every game from Italy again. And then, it's been, and then I've made it to four. Um, so I'm still, I, I'm still on the uh, seven-hour time difference. But uh, it's all good. It's all good. It was an unbelievable trip. What did you learn uh, about your team? Uh, you know, what was, what's a takeaway for you just from the experience? Well, it was unbelievable to see the growth in, in, in Allen and uh, in, in the improvement in Io. You know, Io shoots uh, almost 60% in four games. He shot 45% from the three. Uh, you know, to see Allen Griffin score 31 in a game, uh, to average five offensive rebounds a game, uh, he averaged just shy of nine rebounds per game. Uh, to see Tevian Jones grow, um, you know, and, and then uh, in, a, in a quiet way, Trent Frazier was just outstanding as well. So, uh, you know, it was it was uh, a lot of minutes. You know, I, I think Io and Allen were the tops minute minute guys on our team, about 24 minutes a game in 40-minute games. So, 
uh, a lot of minutes, a lot of opportunity, and and uh, uh, our coaches, assistant coaches, were able to coach, and and uh, uh, so it was it, it was it was good all the way around. Uh, Brad, you mentioned the assistant coaches each had a game. Uh, what was your reasoning for doing that? You're sitting back and taking notes and and evaluating, I guess, huh? Yeah, and we started different lineups every game. And, um, you know, I think it was it, it's a great opportunity for them uh, to further, you know, enhance their professional development. Uh, you know, it's, an, it's a very rare opportunity that they get to actually sit in that seat and call timeouts and, and, and make plays. Uh, but I also did it to, um, uh, to look at it from a different perspective for me. I sat over with Fletch, our strength coach, and, and Joey Biggs and, and, and took notes and, I had my points of emphasis uh, that, that I had in every game. And, and um, you know, at the end of the night, you've got, uh, you got pages of notes that um, uh, you don't do when you're coaching. And uh, so it was a great opportunity for those guys, and it was, it, was, it was really good for me as well. You know, one of the things we wanted to see, I think, and you wanted to see was uh, Kofi and Georgie in together, the two big guys in together. Kofi unable to go because of the uh, visa problem, uh, along with uh, police. How how did you deal with those? What did you say to those two guys when when they realized you, and you realized they couldn't go? Well, it was it, it, you feel so bad for them, and uh, you know because it's a, it 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 was a special trip and it's a special opportunity, and and you know we we don't realize sometimes in our country, you know, we think you know, the 1800s or 1700s is, is history. And you're talking 2,000 years of history. You see the one of the seven wonders of the world in the Colosseum. You see the Vatican. You you see all the domos. You you, you see the, uh, the Last Supper, uh, you know, Michelangelo. And you, and, and you, you're, I'm sorry for those guys that they didn't get an opportunity to, to see those things. And um, yet it was... Um, not without a lot of work and a lot of trying. Uh, we obviously were not the only team that was affected uh, by some of the visa issues getting into Italy, even getting into Spain. Uh, almost every team we, we saw over there um, had complications. But uh, on the positive side of that, Lauren, is we did get 10 practices. Uh, eight of those practices, we went two-a-days. And uh, so we were able to accomplish a lot. We didn't see it against other competition, but we did see it in, in practice. And, and um, you know, that's, um, that, that, was, that was a tough pill for those guys and, and, and for us. But, uh, um, you know, we'll uh, welcome them back here in a, in a couple days and, and uh, uh, you know, know they're integral parts of what we're trying to do. Now, Brad, uh when you play, and if, if first of all, I guess I need to ask you: Do you know whether Bernard Kuma is going to get in yet? No. Okay. Uh, if he doesn't, then you just have the two, basically the two centers, Kofi and Georgie, and the idea of playing them together. When you don't have, a, um, you know, you don't have a real power forward, I guess. If you don't use Georgie there, I mean, you've got other guys that you can use there. I guess Jones could play there, or or, who, or maybe um, Kipper. But I, I just wonder what your thinking is in, in playing them together or playing them separately. Well, let's not forget we've got Benjamin as well, and and you know Benjamin six eight two thirty five and and a guy that we uh, uh, that we brought in to play at that spot. Obviously Benjamin 
uh, only got a couple of practices in before he was he was ruled out, uh, you know, in a precautionary thing with his leg. Uh, but he was very, very good. So, you know, we feel like we've got um, uh, uh, we got some very, very good pieces. And, and, and obviously we know that Georgie's a very capable scorer. Uh, we actually played Georgie quite a bit at the four um, in different minutes. We slid. Zach Griffin uh, played a lot over there in Italy, and we, we slid him over and had him play the five. So Georgie got to got to play a little more on the perimeter, and and uh, you know I it, we all understand it won't be a 35 minute a game deal where those guys are playing together, uh, but um, uh, we did get some good some good looks at that, and and yet we'll be uh, uh, there's no doubt we'll play that way again, and we you know we got Kipper Nichols and. Kipper did some positive things in Italy and, and, and shot it very well and 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 obviously Tevian and Benjamin and so we feel like we've got uh, we've got some good pieces there. Brad Underwood's uh, Brad Underwood is with us here on Saturday Sports Talk, talking about the Italy trip. Just before you left, we saw in a scrimmage, uh, Alan Griffin had some highlight moments, some follow tips, dunks, offensive rebounds, and all that. So. We were already kind of going, well, what's gotten into Allen? And then he did what he did in Italy. Did you see this coming as he's progressed in, in the off season, or has he just kind of exploded here? No, it's been, you know, you love to see young guys that work as hard as Allen works. Um, you know, he and Io stayed here uh, the month of May. Uh, they they took a class. And, and they lifted basically full-time with Fletch. And, and uh, uh, those two guys have, have really challenged and pushed each other in terms of the work ethic. And, you know, Alan is uh, uh, he, he's a gem rat. And uh, uh, I'm really proud of Alan from the standpoint of, you know, we've really pushed him to uh, continue to, to grow his body, to get in great shape, uh, to stay the course, and then um, you know you you see some confidence, you see that maturity and and uh, that work pay off. You know he, he had a game where he was like he was twelve of fifteen from the field. He was five of five from the three. Um, you know he, he got to the foul line, uh, and he he we chart uh, opportunities to go to the offensive glass, and in four games he missed one opportunity to go, and uh, that relentless pressure uh, putting on the rim paid off for him as he got five offensive rebounds a game so uh, I'm really happy for Alan I'm really pleased and 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 he made strides defensively as well so um, he he was uh, he was outstanding over there and is this a case of uh, watching him last year it almost felt like okay he's he's a freshman trying to just figure out who he is and and you know how he fits in everything and just doing the whole thing. Is this a, a classic case for you of freshmen becoming sophomores, as you like to point out? Yeah, I mean, he was, a, he, he was like a baby doe. I mean, his legs were wobbly. He, 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 made, a, he made a move in Italy where he, he, he shot faked, and, and the guy jumped and hit him. And, and last year, Allen would have gotten knocked down on that play. And this year, he took the hit in the shoulder, took one hard dribble, and, and, and finished the play through contact, and and again, it's just um, it, it's a maturation. It's a confidence that comes with understanding the system, and then it's a confidence that comes from from working so hard. And and uh, uh, man, you love to see that. That's why you're so proud of those guys that uh, that, that pay a price and work that hard. 
Well, I know you talked a lot about defense and that needing to improve. What did you see defensively? Uh, there was some good, some bad. Um, you know, I think there was there was still too much. Uh, uh, there was, we were a little inconsistent. Uh, part of that was uh, we scored so easily most most nights, and um, you know we did turn a lot of people over over there, and yet um, um, you know we we had some defensive rotations that we've got to continue to get better at, and and uh, and yet I did see a lot of growth and a lot of improvement, and uh, you know Trent Frazier, Demonte Williams. Uh, were, were, were outstanding. I thought that, uh, uh, you know, IO at times was terrific. And, and so we're, we're getting there. And, um, you know, we've, it, it was, that was where it was probably the most frustrating to see the biggest difference uh, with Kofi in there uh, at seven foot and his seven, six wingspan. And, and, um, uh, but um, I like what we did in the 10 days. We, we made strides there as well. Coach, I know you can't talk much about recruiting, but we like to. <laughs> and you've got a commitment already from a Division Three player. You you're, uh, you're uh, also have a visit today from a, a player. What, talk a little bit about recruiting high school as opposed to recruiting players who are already in, in school and are transferring. It seems like you're leaning toward the transfer more than you might have in a past. Well, I, I think every situation every year, Lauren, is a little bit different. And, and – uh, uh, you start looking at um, uh, the opportunity we have um, to to have a guy sit out, learn your system. Uh, we've got the greatest strength coach in the country uh, that those guys can can have a level of confidence coming in uh, because they'll be in 110 practices. Uh, they'll 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 experience by watching. They'll experience Big Ten basketball. Uh, they'll see the caliber of competition, and then they're with coaches every single day working out as well. So uh, they don't have the pressure of a game. They don't have the uh, um, the stress that goes with that. Now they can just work on getting better. Also, through that is the fact that that in 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 Austin's case, you know he's got 65 college games under his belt, and. Uh, uh, you know, there's a tremendous amount of experience. When you, you talk about looking at a guy like Alan Griffin, the difference he's made from one year to the next, that's, that's what you can have with a 21, 22 year old, uh, transfer. And, uh, uh, you feel like that they've, they've, Austin's got, uh, a multitude of positions he can play. He plays a lot of point, uh, at six, six, uh, he's a proven shooter. And, uh, you know, so just the understanding, just the knowledge of an older guy and uh, an outstanding student, uh, you know, so his, his, his upside potential is, 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 is very, very exciting. Well, you know, the thing I, I notice here, you're kind of following Lovey's uh, lead. Lovey Smith is uh, bringing in guys who have two years of eligibility left. I mean, it makes a big difference whether they have one or two because we always know that every single transfer that we've ever had here is better the second year if he has a second year. is always better uh, if, he, if he has a year under his belt. And I, uh, Is that one of the things you look to also, that the fact whether the guy can play two years? There's no doubt. And, I, you know, I, Andres Felice, you know, Andres played yeah. his obviously last year, but we see it. A young man, and, and you just compare his first semester to his second semester. Well, you know, in our ten practices, Dre's been as good as anybody. 
and uh, you know the, the the development he's made is 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 huge. Now, you know these these you know in Austin's case, and I can't talk about the the current prospect, but the uh, in Austin's case, you know he's going to be on our campus three years, and mm-hmm. and he's got a year of learning. It's not like we're throwing him right out there to the fire. So we uh, we can maybe get a jump on that a little bit, and and. Uh, um, you know, the, the grad transfer situation is, you know, there was 125 of them last year, roughly, and they average six points a game. Uh, it gets very tough for those guys to, to come in and especially at the highest levels, achieve immediate success right away, learning a new system, learning new teammates, learning a new campus. And, uh, we just think that this is, this is a great opportunity and, and, uh, uh, it, it, it helps enhance our team and, and uh, gets us a little older, uh, which is, is, is important in the, in the Big Ten especially. And, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about those prospects. There's also the thing you don't mention is their insurance for guys that leave early or happen to leave for one. I mean, Iowa's probably going to leave. I mean, we know Felice is going to leave. So you're losing players after this year, at least those two. And who knows, uh, in, in the world of sports, we see all kinds of things happening that guys leave that you never, for one reason or another, that you never expect. Well, you've got 1,100 transfers, so there's no, there's no way to prepare for those. And then you do have the early entries. And, um, you know, so there, there is a, um, a little bit of comfort in that. I, I, I think it's more about the individual and, 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 um, and, and building and continuing to build and um you know there's no doubt we're going to try to sign uh you know a couple high school guys and and still have some needs but um the the uh the good thing is they're going to get to go against io and and austin gets to match up with him every day and he gets to he gets to see what's made him great and what's made dre great and 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 not just uh get themselves better but they can learn from them as well so uh it's a it's a pretty good situation and it's something that uh, it gets really hard lauren to play 13 guys we have 13 scholarships um and i just think it's a way that uh, uh can be very beneficial and and uh you know we can we can continue to to work this angle a little bit brad uh, underwood with us here this morning uh, before we let you go io has been uh, is the star there's a lot of anticipation about kofi and you know georgie is is georgie is it possible we're overlooking Trent in all this? You mentioned him at the outset, but but Trent Frazier and his contributions on this team. Well, I think that's easy to do. Uh, you know, I think that you know you you start looking around the country, Scott, and you look at, the, at go find go find a guy who's done what Trent's done in his first two years, and Trent was a much better player last year than he was his his, his freshman year. And just because he didn't score 40 in a game or whatever, but as a player, uh, Trent Frazier is an outstanding college basketball player. And um, he showed that in Italy. He's shown that in our 10 days. I I told him um, uh, when we got back, I said I couldn't have been prouder of the way he played, the way he led, his ability to uh, – uh, he got downhill. Uh, he's We've really emphasized to Trent on getting fouled more. Um, you know, he had a game, I think he shot 11, 12 free throws. Uh, you know, so he's, he's, he's becoming a heck of a college basketball player and he's already had a great freshman and sophomore year. So, 
Um, you know, n- nobody talks about him. I think that's okay with Trent, uh, but we we darn sure know how good he is. All right, before you go, can you give me a favorite non-basketball moment on the trip? Oh, there were so many. I, You know, I think you get, um, uh, you know, I think that when you walk into the Coliseum and you understand that it's one of the seven wonders of the world and you think about all of the things that have happened in there and, you know, to see guys, uh, you know, in a, in a Coliseum like that where there's so many battles, uh, that was that was one I think that uh, uh, you know our, our our guys enjoyed every aspect of it. I think you know being on a cruise and seeing Lake Como and 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 the beauty of that and it was they're they're so drastically different. But uh, we had a lot of memories, that's for sure. Well, that's great. Well, better let you go. It's about time for you to go to bed. I think because <laughs> <laughs> your body clocks. <laughs> but really appreciate you spending so, time with us. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate hey, thanks, you. Brad. All right, that's. All right, head coach Brad Underwood and uh, Derek Burson told us he's got recruiting duties and all that to uh, get to. So. Yeah, he's got a key guy that, that they hope to sign this weekend. So they uh, they're they're going with with more experienced players, and I think he explained that pretty well. I mean, there are more there's more things in the background here that none of us know for sure, but you have to have quote insurance. Mm-hmm. You have to because you do lose players and. For, there are a lot of different reasons. I mean, there's academics. There's all kinds of different reasons why you, you might have a player that uh, that elects to go elsewhere or, or just doesn't make it. So you've got to have and, – and when you have guys that come in that have already starred for their, their own team, their lesser teams, but they're better than high school teams, okay? Division mm-hmm. three is not as good as Division one, but it's better than high school. Right. And so you've got guys that have starred at that level and shot at that level and scored at that level. And now you bring them in here and set them out a year, and they're older, and they've got two years, and there's nothing, you know, and they're trapped. Basically, they can't go anywhere, right? I mean, it's uh, it, it's it's a pretty good deal if you can get the right guys. And I know uh, there's questions about depth in the front court, but you have to feel excited about the talent that is there on the front lines. Obviously, in the back court and in the front lines of the front court too. So I know Kofi's a freshman, and and don't get too too much about him because he's going to be a freshman, but I think there's a lot to be excited about. Well, you got two centers now. Yeah, and and that's huge. Uh, All right, to the phones real quick, and Gary's with us. Good morning, Gary. Hi. Since the News Gazette has chosen not to publish them, how can we get box scores from the individual games or at least a composite box score for the four games played on the Italy trip? Uh. I think you would just have to go through the team's communications that uh, whatever they put out, I know they put out box scores on Twitter. Um, sometimes they weren't entirely complete, um, but that's that's about it. I mean, we saw at least point totals and sometimes more full but, box scores. So so, so there, there weren't any statistics kept in, in, in detail like the way you get it on a normal – regularly scheduled game not well, what the, i saw the, the entirely box, but the box scores were pretty complete i mean they had all the scoring and what, what are what are we talking about here beyond the box well score. i would talk about rebounds oh no it had rebounds in there time played what, uh, time played. yeah i don't remember if had, they had time played but i it, it was it was a box score with at least six or eight yeah. col- columns as yeah. i recall yeah i think they gave you your basic 
sometimes, like at least with the other the opponents, you know, they didn't have all the names no, in there. No, no, but, no, uh, not the opponents, but but we don't really care about that anyway. Right. So, all right, thanks, Gary. All right, we've talked some basketball here. We switch to football. Scott Docterman writes for the Athletic, covers the Iowa Hawkeyes. And just one of our favorite guests around here. We'll talk with him when we come back. Saturday Sports Talk. Motors on till 11 a.m. Next hour, Paul Sullivan from the Tribune. Offensive line coach Bob McLean. Stay with us. We are back on Saturday Sports Talk. I have to... Get used to saying that. It's a Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Please forgive me. I don't know if I've been mentioning that enough, but uh, the fine folks at Illini Pella have made this possible here this year. Do appreciate it. And joining us now out in Iowa is Scott Docterman. He writes for The Athletic, covers the Iowa Hawkeyes in particular. Good morning, Scott. Good morning. How are you? One of the best names in media for sure. Uh, great to see you and. I suppose you have been immersing yourself in the high Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, everybody around here is wondering what the Illini can do this year football-wise, but one of the concerns is you know, is how, be- how much better is everybody else in the West. But for Iowa, I think it sounds like it's can they win the division this year. Yeah, I think that's the goal, and I think this is the year that if they're going to do it, this has to be the year. Uh, Iowa, first of all, you start with line of scrimmage play, and uh, they're veteran uh, at both offensive tackles. Uh, they're two. Year, well, they're going into their third year as starters. Alaric Jackson and Tristan Wirfs. And Alaric Jackson uh, has been their left tackle for since he was a freshman two years ago. And uh, combined, they allowed two sacks last year. And uh, Tristan Wirfs this offseason buried uh, Brandon Sheriff's school record in the hang clean with a 500-pound hang clean, which is just remarkable. Uh, so uh, when you look at the offensive line and then the defensive line with A.J. Epineza, who led the Big Ten in stacks with 10.5, as really kind of a part-time player last year and, and a few other disruptors up front. I mean, line of scrimmage play here dictates that this team should be very competitive on the field. And then you add in a third-year starting quarterback, Nate Stanley, who's thrown for 52 touchdowns combined the last two years. I think there's a lot of hopes here in Iowa City that they've got a chance to uh, do something special this year. Well, Scott, this is Lauren. I'm going to take you far afield here. I know you like that because I, I know you like to talk about different things. Sports betting in Iowa, it's brand new. We don't have that yet. We haven't passed. You know, it's going to be passed in Illinois, but Iowa's already jumped the gun. How is that going to affect Iowa sports? And 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 is it good for for sports to have betting in, in, at the college level? Yeah, I think that that whole debate is is kind of you know, got people on different sides of the fence, kind of like the casino gambling and what have you. I mean, when that got legalized, that's uh, you know you got people who are completely anti casino or anti gambling, and other people who love it. I I mean, it it was a very uh, it was a popular decision among fans who a lot of them bet, even though it wasn't necessarily um, over the table. So I think it's been popular here. I know the other day that there have been a lot of books. Now, how does it affect sports? Uh, that remains to be seen because I don't know that football is going to affect it too much because, you know, it's just there has been a lot of betting on it previously. So, uh, But you always have to be concerned when you're around young people who are impressionable, who don't really have a lot of money. 
So uh, I'm sure that's going to be a, a major concern for the universities, for the NCAA, and, and the coaches themselves is, you know, to make sure to watch that, that nothing, you know, no impropriety happens. Uh, but that said, I, I don't think that it's going to affect too much on the field. I think it's going to be more of a kind of behind-the-scenes type of a type of situation. You have left the uh, newspaper industry to uh, to go with the athletic, which seems to be doing. I see they just what hit their five hundred thousand uh, people that are involved now. Is that right? Are paying subscriptions? Is that correct? Over five hundred thousand. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's correct. How how is the newspaper industry doing in Iowa? The papers in Des Moines and and Iowa City. I ask this because I just uh, heard from Dave Woods of the Indianapolis Star that Lafayette now has just. Lafayette, which is owned by Gannett, as as is Indianapolis, has just two sports writers and four regular news writers. In other words, it's practically disappearing right in front of our eyes. How's the industry coming in in Iowa? Uh, the, the the main uh, newspapers are still in decent shape. You know, the Des Moines Register and the the Cedar Rapids Gazette are both publishing and, and haven't you know they've they've had their losses but not at a, an extreme level but some of the other newspapers like the iowa city press citizen uh is kind of the, a ghost of what it was 10 years ago there there's only two sports writers uh this is a you know a, the prep scene here is, is is really bullish it's it's strong yet uh the two re- reporters barely cover preps it's, they're more a part of the Des Moines Register, which is a Gannett, you know, the both Gannett papers, and then there have been a couple of mergers that have in, in that have really destroyed a couple of really good papers. I think you know one is in Burlington, Iowa, which went from uh, 24 full timers to four in the mm. newsroom in the last two and a half years, and from four sports to one. Uh, so yeah, it's it's there. It's taken a major hit, unfortunately. Well, I got one other uh, oddball question to ask you: Field of Dreams. Is it true there's going to be a major league game in Iowa next year at the Field of Dreams? Yeah, it's going to be great. We've never had Yankees? one here in Iowa. So, yeah, Yankees and White Sox. So it's uh, perfect. Uh, you know, we're going to have, you know, Sulis Joe Jackson is going to come out of the corn. Well, oh, he better. Body. Can I, if I come <laughs> over, can I throw, pay a catch with my dad? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that I think a lot of people, if that could happen, would be just thrilled. But uh, they're actually building an, an 8,000-seat stadium right next to the original field, uh, just across the cornfield from it. So it's going to have the same ambiance and same look and texture. It's just going to actually be an 8,000-seat stadium. And it, it's, it's a small town. It's outside of a town called Dyersville, Iowa, northeast Iowa. So it's going to be interesting to see how the, logistically how that takes place. But, but I, I can't imagine a, a bigger or better thing for the Hawkeye, or for the Hawkeye State, you know, for the Iowa, Iowans, just to finally have a Major League Baseball game there at probably its most uh, famous landmark, uh, you know, at Field of Dreams. But – Eight thousand people to watch the Yankees play the Whites. Come on, that's that's just a that's a paltry number. <laughs> I bet the Yankees have never played before eight thousand before. <laughs> well, they have against the White Sox in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> They'll all draw the Cedar Rapids Colonels that night, I think. <laughs> Scott Doctorman. Yeah, I'm sure they will. <laughs> Scott Doctorman with us here on Saturday Sports Talk, Illini Saturday Sports Talk, and he covers the Iowa Hawkeyes for the Athletic. Uh, Gary Barta had his contract extended, the athletic director for Iowa. How has that been received? Uh, how do you? Uh, what's the significance of that? 
uh, you know, the significance is that uh, that he now probably is in a position to hire Kirk Ferentz's successor. And that's always something that's been discussed here. I mean, Kirk's going into his 21st year. Uh, there's all kinds of speculation that his son, Brian Ferentz, will take over for him. And by uh, Gary Barta having his contract extended through 2024, uh, that probably gives him that uh, that opportunity to do so. And and uh, I think both situations are awfully polarizing here. Uh, Gary Barta, uh, you know, anybody that's been in that chair for a long time has built up some allies and some, uh, you know, people who are against him. And uh, I think that's the case here. He's had some good, he's done some good things and he's done some things that have, that have not panned out for Iowa. You know, they got sued, a gender equity suit uh, for discrimination and lost um, under his watch. Uh, they've, had uh, their basketball program is kind of treading water as opposed to being what it was 20 plus years ago. Uh, football program, he, he inherited Kirk Ferentz and Kirk already had a good run going. So he's just been able to maintain it, but he's also done some nice things with the facilities. So uh, that's a polarizing situation. And then as far as replacing Kirk, I'm not sure when that's going to happen. I would guess maybe in the neighborhood of three years. Uh, but uh, so it, it, that'll be interesting to see, you know, there's, there's always an element of Ferentz fatigue here. If uh you know, Iowa goes seven and five, especially a year like this. I, I think people would be ready for a new change, a new movement. But if they win the West Division and possibly go to the Rose Bowl or something, then I think they'd be willing to to turn uh, Brian Ferentz into the crown prince. So it, it's going to be a fascinating situation. Uh, you mentioned basketball. What's the status of Jordan Bohannon? I don't think he'll play this year. He's had really? surgery. He's got a soldier issue. Yeah. He's out. Uh, he had, and it's uh, so likely he'll take a red shirt. Really? Iowa's backcourt took a real. They took a real big hit. Isaiah Moss transferred to Kansas, mm-hmm. so they're in. They're in some. They're in some trouble. I think their front court will be okay, but yeah, Bohannon's injury. He probably won't be at a hundred percent until after the first of the year, and by then uh, it's a senior year. So I expect him to to fully redshirt and then come back for a fifth year the following season. Well, well, I would, even though Wieskamp's a good player and the coach has got a couple of his sons, I would think this is not a particularly positive year for uh, Indiana, uh, for Iowa basketball. And what's that mean with the fandom, which is already kind of divided on, aren't they? Yeah, they're very divided. And I think it could be really a difficult situation because their backcourt, if you were to just purely rank it, uh, and bring the ball up and play two, but he's mostly a three. I would say you look at the backcourt situation, and I I would struggle to put him in the top thirteen in the really? ten right now because because of losing Moss, you know, who's a fifth year senior to Kansas and Bohannon out. I, I behind him, they've got really young, inexperienced guys. The most experienced player right there is is Connor McCaffrey, who's probably more of a glue guy, a, a distributor, not really a scorer, and and they've got a lot of unproven guys. So. Uh, they do have a, a graduate transfer from Valpo, uh, Bakari Evelyn, but uh, you know his numbers were not over the top. So I, I think that their their backcourt situation is going to be very difficult for them to overcome. And they've got a good front court, but they're, they're going to struggle, I think, bringing up the ball. Uh, when you, going back to uh, football for a moment, Scott Docterman is with us. Um, yeah, is is are the Hawkeyes? feeling like they are a team to beat in the West? Is the concern about Northwestern? Is it about Nebraska? They're, uh, there's a, a very, they're a very confident team right now, and, I, and they don't really get into 
uh, the you know what we think of them, obviously. But I, I think you look at again the line of scrimmage. You look at the veteran quarterback play. They have a lot of returners. Even their wide receivers should be in decent shape, and Iowa struggled at that position for a long time. So uh, that's kind of a growing unit. Now they've got to replace two tremendous tight ends who are in the NFL. Uh, but outside of that, I think they feel like they are, uh, you know, at or near the top of the list in the Big Ten West. And I would say roster-wise, they are the best because you know you look at Nebraska and, and a really explosive offense last year. Uh, you know, Adrian Martinez is going to be a difficult out for anybody. Uh, but you know, this was a team that was in the 100s you know, in just about every defensive category that mattered. And so they might make some strides, but I, don't, I can't see them going from 105th to 20th or anything. Um, uh, you look at, at Wisconsin, they've got a lot of changes, but I, I think they're going to be, you know, uh, you know, pretty solid for the most part. Northwestern's been a burn Iowa side for, you know, really ever since uh, 1995. But, but particularly last three years, they've lost three one-score games to the, to the Wildcats, and that's been, a, a you know, a source of issues. Uh, but, that said, I, I really think Iowa's got a chance to, you know, to compete. They've got a tough schedule. Four out of their five uh, road games are against ranked opponents. But, but again, having that that line of scrimmage play and a veteran quarterback, they've got the opportunity to, uh, you know, not necessarily lose those games that normally they would if they had a sophomore in charge. I see the first four games: Miami, Rutgers, Iowa State, Middle Tennessee. Iowa State, what's going on there? Campbell seems to they, they they got things rolling a little bit, don't they? They do. They are in the best shape that they've ever been as a program, and uh, part of it is you know Matt Campbell has just a he's a lot like Kurt. I'll say that you know he's from Ohio. He he uh, coached at Toledo before he came to uh, you know so he's a little bit be- up, more of an upgrade than the last coach who left uh, Toledo, right? Uh, but, I think he's the reason why the last coach was hired by Illinois. I think that yeah, Campbell right. being the offensive coordinator really won games for him. Well, that's an exaggeration, but, I mean, he was a big factor, at least. Yeah, you took the wrong coach. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, he was, uh, he's, he's, at, he's done a, a marvelous job there because he's installed a new culture. I mean, there's always kind of been this, uh, you, know, I, you know, just a, a, a culture that, kind of blames people at times i mean it's it's kind of an immature culture and i think he's turned it around on its head to where uh, they've uh you know they've they've elevated the profile of their program they don't allow for any kind of complaining uh all the players are held to a different standard they've done a nice job of recruiting and uh you know and they've they've had some good players and then now they're they're more veteran they've even done this with an inexperienced offensive line so i I think that Iowa State game, and it's the first time that both teams will probably be ranked going into it. So it has the potential to be the, the biggest game that the teams have ever played against one another. That'd be pretty neat to watch. Scott Docterman from the Athletic, we really appreciate you making time as always. Oh yeah, I always love being on with you guys. Thanks so much. I've got some more oddball questions for you the next time too. <laughs> okay, sounds good, Lauren. Right. I always like them. See you later. All right, Scott Docterman, he's a good writer. And, uh, yeah, he's worth a follow and worth uh, worth a read for sure. Um, I don't know if uh, I don't know if Iowa can pull it off this year, but it, it seems like you don't want to count them out. Well, I, look, it, it's, a, it's a toss-up thing, and, and they're the one team that is really, really, really solid on defense. Nebraska's not solid on defense. Now, the one thing we didn't point out here, and you have to point this out, they play Michigan-Penn State – Back-to-back games. Mm-hmm. And the, the fifth and sixth games of their season are Michigan and Penn State. 
and those games count in the standings. Yep. So they can they could win against the western other western division teams. They could beat Nebraska. They I mean they could beat Northwest. They could beat Illinois. They could win those games. But uh, another team that that doesn't play quite as tough a schedule in the East could sneak past them. And I don't know who that might be, but we know that uh, Nebraska doesn't play as tough a schedule as Iowa does. And th- and that's not fair. I've often wondered whether you should, you know, in, in, a, in a division setup like this, where you should only count the games where you play in that division. Because it's not fair that you have to play Michigan and Penn State if they're really, really good. Yeah, it's not like baseball. And the other team doesn't have to play them. It's not like baseball where you everything's balanced. And, and right. you, you know, as far as the interleague, everybody in your division is playing the same opposite division mm-hmm. you know, or cross interleague division mm-hmm. i should say you know the al central is playing the nl east for something you know for example yeah a uh, texture lets us know uh, we had a question about the box scores from italy fighting does have them just go to uh, men's basketball and news and you can find them there thanks from the 608 texture and let's see we have talked about football this morning we've talked about basketball talked a little bit about baseball suppose we should go back to that one if we can here paul sullivan will join us from the chicago tribune in a few minutes one of the best baseball writers in the business a little bit later on it's bob mcclain from fighting illini football coaching staff he coaches the o-line that is all coming up here illini pella saturday sports talk but let's squeeze in one more call here this is alan good morning alan morning guys uh, i'm not getting you guys very good because we're Got a lot of storms down there, a lot of static, but uh, you probably already uh, answered this question. Is uh, Marcus Beeson going to have to have surgery? Well, they're not answering. They won't tell us, but it's fairly obvious that he, I, I think it's fair. I, I, do I dare say that? I, I mean, it's an ACL. It's, uh, it most certainly will be, but. That's the fear. I mean, they're he's just not announcing in, anything. He's standing in crutches in a brace. I mean, that's what they've. That's all you can tell. And and Lovey yeah. called it significant, which is obvious. Anytime yeah. you're standing in crutches in a brace, I don't think. So that's uh, a, go ahead. Well, they won't tell us. Is that it's that simple? I mean, but we, we think we know, but we're we're guessing. Okay. Uh, the other question I have is something I thought about the other day. When is the last time? that the state of Illinois has had a top 10 quarterback. And I, I can't think of one. You mean a player? You mean a high school player? No, top 10 high school player coming out of high school that everybody wanted from the state of Illinois. Have we ever had one? Well, that's a good I can't think of one. If anybody can, let us know. Appreciate it, Alan. 356-9397. That's the phone number here on this Saturday morning. Castle Heating and Cooling text line 351 Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. I'm doing better at that now. 958. Paul Sullivan joins us next. News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign Urbana, News Gazette Media Station. More Saturday Sports Talk by Illini Pella after this. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217 356 9397. Or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. And this is Scott Beatty in for Steve Kelly on this Saturday morning. He'll be back for next Saturday and 
every Saturday after that in perpetuity. <laughs> Tell Lauren you kick him out, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that'll never happen. <laughs> it's a privilege to be on with you on this historic program, and we go till 11 o'clock. We've covered the world of Illinois basketball and Big Ten football as well. Now we go to baseball. Paul Sullivan, a great writer with the Chicago Tribune, kind enough to join us here this morning. Paul, good morning to you. How are you? Great. How are you guys? I'm doing fine, but Cubs uh, bullpen is not. (laughs) Is there anybody that can close out a game and... Why didn't Joe Madden just leave David Phelps in? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, he struck out two guys in the eighth there and uh, looked like he was dealing. But, you know, that's the way baseball is now. They always have to make changes. And uh, it is kind of curious. They started out uh, with uh, Ryan in the ninth. Uh, I, I assume that he knew he was going to go to Kinsler all along. But, you know, Kinsler's just coming off the DL first game back uh you know it just he, he didn't look like he had his stuff together and then uh you know walking a 196 hitter to force in the run you know i was in a local establishment with some friends last night and everyone was like well this game's over and sure enough next guy up gets a single so you know i mean this is kind of stuff that we've seen before in our lifetimes with the Cubs, but I think the the only issue now is that since they've won in 2016, people kind of you know got to the point where uh, they didn't think this would ever bother them anymore because they already had one under their belt, and and um, apparently it's bothering a lot of people. Well, Sully, you. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> Sully, this is Lauren. Uh, would you Hello. explain the twenty-three thirty-nine road record? I this is the part I I don't get. I mean, there's not that much difference in in the stadiums. I mean, what's going on? Yeah, to me, I mean, that's just a indication that uh, they have no uh, bullpen because okay. you know, a lot of these games, as we've seen the last two nights, are bullpens Cubs bullpen blowing it uh also the you know they they come up pretty uh, lame in some of these games offensively a lot of them but then when you look at the overall stats um home and road their hitting really isn't that much different and they win all the time at home uh but their you know pitching on the road is just abysmal um you know Kyle Hendricks had a good game last night but he hasn't been good and um, you know, John Lester, he goes today. He hasn't been very good. Cole Hamill's the last few starts just, you know, really sucking. So, um, you know, it's something to be concerned about, definitely, because if, if this continues, you know, you know, the one who's going to pay for it is Joe Madden. Well, was it appropriate to, to not sign him beyond this year? I mean, that, that just doesn't happen very often, does it? Most, even a bad manager has, a, has another year probably a, for a buyout. Well, you know, it's happening more often now. You, know, you saw Joe Girardi go into his last year uh, yeah. without a deal, and that's when uh, the Cubs, uh, you know, were trying to get him uh, to replace Dale Swaim, and uh, he wound up staying with the Yankees. And you saw uh, Dave Roberts, I believe, uh, go into his last year, last year with the Dodgers, and uh, he signed an extension. So it's not that uncommon anymore. I think it's just strange that you would think that a guy that finally – you know, won a championship with the Cubs would would be good for life, or at least <laughs> a few more 
few more years. So uh, there's something disconnect between Joe and the front office. And, you know, we really don't know what it is because no one says, but uh, there obviously there's, there's something there. Paul, do you f- see Joe Madden not finishing the season under any circumstances? Oh, no. no, no, I don't think they would ever fire him. Um, certainly he wouldn't quit. <laughs> um, in which you laugh at, but I guess uh, Lou Pinella did quit a few years ago, but that was a whole different situation. Um, no, I think he's done too much for the organization for them to actually fire him. But if they didn't make the playoffs, I, could, I wouldn't, I don't think anyone would be surprised if, if they didn't uh, sign an extension. It's, you know, it's kind of like when Dusty Baker was gone, the Cubs technically didn't fire him, but everybody knew he was basically fired because they didn't sign him back. Paul Sullivan is with us. He's on Twitter at PW Sullivan, writes for the Tribune, uh, covers a lot now in the world of baseball. Uh, I, I think I heard Lawrence Holmes suggest this, that the the era of big personality managers, I mean, you mentioned Lou Pinella, for example. I think in a, a lot of ways Joe P- uh, Madden has a big personality. Uh, th- these, oh, yeah. These types of guys, uh, th- that era may be dwindling, into you know let's say a mike shilton in st louis is the media example more real managers i guess of of games and guys that put together data and analytics and and let that drive their lineups yeah and they're more boring you know like <laughs> not to single out mike schilt but you know if you ever remember anything he's ever said no uh, it's it's just the way it is now they don't want their managers to uh to really expound with the media on anything they want to keep everything close to the vest um they want to it's i was talking with this uh about this with uh, andrew friedman uh during spring training last year that he's the dodgers president and, and he said yeah i mean that's the way it is today that the gms and the managers are a partnership it's not like okay you're the manager make your decisions they want to have input on decisions you know like who's adding where who's pitching when so, uh, you know, the old school managers may be a little reluctant to do that. I think Joe Madden, uh, uh, you know, is one guy that has worked with Theo and them uh, on a lot of things. But certainly it's not like, uh, you know, Dave Roberts and Friedman in, in L.A. where he's considered basically it's almost like Friedman's managing the team. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be different in baseball. You're losing a lot of uh, personalities and charisma. When you see, uh, you know, like a Bruce Bochy gone or Madden or maybe, you know, I don't know how many years Terry Francona has left. But, uh, yeah, it's more of a robo-manager now. Well, just for the record, if anyone wants me to come fill out the lineup card and for a lot of money and just do whatever they bid, I'm <laughs> open to that. Uh, but so who, who, who do you got at leadoff for the Cubs then, uh, <laughs> if you brought it up? Because, you know, that's the one thing Joe gets – ripped on more than anything up here but everybody puts up there is you know doesn't work so i, I you know he's got to kind of be running out of, out of out of ideas well i like the speed and stolen base op- on base for schwarber don't you <laughs> he's the guy <laughs> yeah yeah that worked that's how we, it worked a couple years ago too and uh you know hayward definitely you know he's not working um rizzo is always a good for a 
you know, a quick fix for a couple games, but you don't want that guy in your leadoff spot. Um, well, Hayward was working like, from a different position. He looked like a leadoff guy. I mean, you know, he was getting on base. He was swinging the good pitches. He's yeah. playing better, batting better than he had in years, I thought, at least making contact. And he can run the bases. But yeah. uh, put him up there in the leadoff, and all of a sudden, boom. Yeah, I think it's you know, it's got to be a mental thing with some of these guys because, you know, what's the difference of – Obviously, your leadoff hitter, you're supposed to look at a few more pitches, you know, in your first at bat to let everybody else know, you know, what this guy's got. But uh, other than that, uh, you know, they always say it's just another place in the lineup. So I, I think it is a mental thing with some guys. So back to the managing, you know, if if the trend is towards the, as you called it, robo-manager, I mean, where would that put a guy like Joe Girardi? How... Uh, reasonable is it to expect that he would be the next Cubs manager if Joe Madden is not to return? I would be very surprised if it was Joe Girardi, personally. I know his name's been floated out there. I think he had an opportunity a few years ago when, as I mentioned before, uh, when they were looking at him when he was in his final year with the Yankees. But, uh, you know, he he basically turned down the opportunity and uh, I think the Cubs uh, will remember that, and I, I don't see him coming here. Um, and he's really kind of a, you know, the old school type that, uh, you know, it just doesn't play with today's modern day players. Uh, you know, for better or worse, these guys are, you know, a lot more spoiled, and uh, they expect to be treated differently. And no one wants to get yelled at or benched or, you know. It's just a whole different weird era for me. I'm, I'm still having a hard time uh, getting used to the fact that players need to be told three days in advance when they're playing. Well, Sully, how, how many years have you been uh, writing now? Uh, in the neighborhood of 30 for the Tribune? Is that right? Yeah, I, I, I've I been there 38 years. 38? Uh, Whoa. Yeah, I mean, I started as a copy boy, but uh, I've been writing since... Uh, 84 i've been in sports since 87 and i had that one year uh, on the align i beat where i failed miserably and uh, <laughs> <laughs> was taken off <laughs> back during the Dion thomas and the uh, brooks taylor that 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 era yeah i've been failing on that beat for 52 years <laughs> but anyway that, me, me uh, you and terry board oh i know how is terry yeah. by the way I just heard him on the score last week. He sounded good. Okay. So, uh, all right. I know he's I had he's some health right. problems. Yeah. It, but I'm getting around to. Here's what I'm getting around to. You, you were. You've been with the Tribune and the Tribune. And the Tribune. The Tribune owned the Cubs for a while. I mean, yeah. and the Ricketts family. I guess uh, bought them about ten years ago. Bought the bought the team for what eight hundred forty five million, and that was for ninety five percent of the Tribune media stock. Anyway. Does yeah. it ever create? Did it create problems, or did, has it ever created problems for you in terms of writing for a team when you own, you know about a team when when you you know the your company owns the team? Um, it, it did create problems, uh, not probably as many as people suspected, because it really it all depended on your editor more than the the you know the bigwigs at the paper. If you had an editor that supported you. I was usually okay. Um, if I, you know, there were some years I didn't have the editor supporting me, and and uh, you know that wasn't okay. But uh, I would say for the most part, uh, you know, I could write what I want, 
and the uh, the most the people that were most upset were the Cubs because they would say that I was anti-Cub <laughs> and they would complain to my bosses. You know, this guy hates the Cubs. Why is he on the Cubs? But uh, you know, they they never took me off the Cubs. So uh, uh, so I guess in the long run they did back me. Well, that's uh, uh, the amazing part to me as I look back on this. I just checked this this morning, and the, and the Tribune bought the team from uh, the Wrigley's, I believe, for twenty one million in nineteen eighty one. Twenty one million yeah. in nineteen eighty one. Yeah. You know, the value of that team now is almost three billion. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. So yeah, they got it cheap. They made a lot of money off it, and then they sold it. Yeah. Really, relatively cheap for um, you know what they're worth only. Uh, 10 years later. Um, so uh, some bad judgment there. Well, where do the Cubs go from here? I mean, everybody's up and uh, Cub fans are just up in arms and they're only one game out of first place. I mean, it's, it's still a toss up three way race. I mean, the, the Brewers oh, yeah. are only two games back. So, you know, it's a three way, it's still a three way race. It's been a three way race all, the whole time, hadn't it? Yeah. And it, it should be for the rest of the year. I mean, I don't see the Cardinals running away. They, they just had a, losing streak last week that they're yeah. coming out of now and um the brewers you know we hater is you know their best reliever and he's in a really terrible slump right now yeah so i think uh you know anyone could win it um i'm sure when the cubs come home they'll be back to normal and you know start winning again but um i think the bottom line here is that even if they do make the playoffs no one's going to really at least none of their fans that i know of are going to have much confidence that they're going to go far just because, uh, you know, what we've seen so far, you know, not being able to win on the road. And, um, you know, it, it will be better when Kimbrell comes back off the DL and, you know, is, is have a real closer in the closer's role. But, you know, he hasn't really been all that great either. So, you know, uh, you, you mentioned Hader. And I, I saw him pitching early this year, and he's striking out everybody. And, and uh, he, there was a story written – right about the time, about three weeks ago or so, um, or a month, and about the fact that his fastball was, was, wasn't 100 miles an hour quite, and it, it, it didn't have any more rotation than anybody else, and, and they couldn't figure out why people weren't hitting it. And then all of a sudden, he's lost three games with home runs off that fastball, and I wonder, maybe they did figure out how to hit it. I mean, wh- what's changed with, how could, you know, how could something change like that where they're swinging and missing? He had the best swing and miss rate in baseball, and then the next thing I know, they're hitting home runs off of it. Explain it. Well, the only explanation I would have is that uh, if you look at his numbers through the first half, uh, a lot of times uh, Craig Council using him for two, three innings, Yeah. Um, even though he was basically their closer with uh, Jeffrey's hurt for most of the time. Um, and I think that all adds up. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, these guys are conditioned to pitching one inning. I, I hate it personally because the uh, I just hate all the pitching changes. It slows down the game, and it's boring. But, you know, uh, that's what they do nowadays. And he's the one guy that seemed to be a throwback. Would You know, he'd come in and pitch two, three innings. And I think now that we're into August, we can see why uh, managers don't do that very often anymore with their relievers. All right, Paul, before I let you go, just got to ask, I know you wrote about it earlier in the week leading up to it last night. Uh, is it is it time? To, yeah, is it time to extend his contract in the White Sox booth? No, I, honestly, <laughs> I, I got home. Uh, I don't know. It was in the middle innings last night's game, and 
Um, I, I, you know, he had some funny lines, but, uh, he, you know, I was, I got tired of his act really quickly. <laughs> I gotta be honest. I was looking forward to it, but, uh, you know, I, you know, I understand he's trying to be funny, not knowing who the players are and thinking, uh, you know, a, a routine fly is a home run. And, mm-hmm. but, uh, I didn't think he was that funny. And, uh, you really, after a while I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I thought it was good for an Would inning you, or two for a gimmick. Yeah. yeah. He's just kind of, he's too much. Just shut up. <laughs> I, you know? I, I trip making a dive for the remote. <laughs> yeah. So you guys agree. <laughs> we agree on that, it's Sully. Over. But I, we should be more, you know, let's accept him for what he is. I guess I should relax and enjoy it. I'm just too serious about baseball. That's my problem. There's no, nobody. I don't think that's that at all because I, you know, I'm serious about baseball too, but. Yeah, it, it was a meaningless game. Let's face it, and it's just a whole, you know, get some promo for, get some publicity for the White Sox. But yeah, he's just a kind of personality that grates on you after a while. Yeah, <laughs> but there's nobody that can mesh with him like Jason Benetti. I think he does an outstanding job. That's it's true. No, that. That's did true. A good job. And, and some of it was really funny, but you know, he, he's no Charles Barkley in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, he he's a funny guy. Yes, absolutely, and he knows the game too. Of course, it was and he the, knows g- the game. Which, of course, he- and I think he knows baseball too. Which, yeah. you know, I don't know if Walton was just kidding, or you know, he actually didn't seem to know who any of these White Sox players were. "Quote: They call them runs, correct? That was from Bill Walton last night. <laughs> yeah, Paul, yeah. really, really appreciate you making some time on a Saturday morning, especially uh, enjoy the stretch run here of the division race and all the other things that you cover, and uh, hopefully, we can do it again." Okay, thanks, guys. Hey, Sully, thanks a lot. Bye-bye. See you later. Paul Sullivan, great writer for the Chicago Tribune. Follow him at P.W. Sullivan on the Twitter and read him, of course, every day. He's a good guy, and, well, we'll see how this central race plays out. I, Cubs fans are nervous right now, even though I don't see Milwaukee or St. Louis having a lot of confidence about their position. They say, just, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna take this hey, now." They're just playing one game at a time, All right. and every game is the the new starting pitcher is the momentum maker. Thank if you. If he's good, you're good. If he's not good, and then you got to close. I forgot about that. You got to close, right? Yeah, because Kyle Hendricks was good last night. But yeah, you got to score yeah. more than two runs to have a decent chance at winning. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk still to come. Our conversation with offensive line coach Bob McClain from Illinois Football. Later on, the life and legacy of the NFL's first superstar. We talk with Chris Willis about Red Grange. Saturday Sports Talk. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk continues. You do this every Saturday, Lauren? You, You get up and do this? Yeah, I don't remember when I didn't. (laughs) <laughs> I think there was a wedding or something that you, yeah, had, you missed. I, for, for, a wedding threw me off once, yeah. Yeah, so Steve just takes off because he wants <laughs> – he's <laughs> probably golfing somewhere. He's tuning up. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Yeah, he's getting ready for football season. All right, so is Bob McClain, Illini offensive, uh, line offensive line coach, was an analyst last year, promoted up after Luke Buckus left. Lauren and I caught up with him yesterday after the final open training camp practice. Bob, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Camp so far, how's it been? Uh, it's been great. It's been good. You know, kids are working hard. They've got a great mindset. They're coming to work every day with a purpose and, and trying to get better. You know, I mean, it's a great culture. You know, I, I love the culture in our room right now. 
Uh, every every kid, I don't care how much they've played or what they've done before, they all feel like they got to come and compete for their job every day, which is creating a competitive culture, which is helping all of them get better in the end. Butchkus left after last year, and uh, you were an assistant to him. Tell us how that worked last year and, and what you felt about the, the your involvement with it last year when you weren't the main guy. Well, you know, I, I think it was a good fit. You know, me and Rod Smith go back years. You know, mm-hmm. we come up in the same system, the same offensive system, and we were at West Virginia and Michigan together. So when Rod and I had a chance to get back together, you know, last year, it, you know, it was just it was a good fit because I knew, I knew his system and he knew what my background was and that type of deal. So it was, you know, good to be able to come in with him and kind of help him implement the new system, you know. So then when when Luke, you know, got the, you know, got the, made the move he did, which I'm happy for him, was a great move for, for him, you know. Uh, it, it just things with fell. With the Packers, under. right? Yes, he's mm-hmm. with the Packers now. Yeah. So, yep. So when that opportunity, you know, rose for him, which like I said, I'm very happy for him. Uh, it just, it was just, it was a good fit. You know, I was already here and already had the background in the system with Rod and then was here and, and got to know the kids. You know, that's a win-win when you know the system and you're also already familiar with, with the players that you have on hand. Uh, it was just, it was an easy, you know, good, easy transition. Unlike some of the positions, it looks like your unit is set, was set from the day you uh, showed up. Is that a fair statement? I mean, it looks like all five guys are pretty well solid. Well, you know, I mean, you you had the four guys that were starters last year, obviously, and then you know you bring Richie in, who's a graduate transfer from Alabama, who you know had had obviously come up in a good program and got a good foundation and that type of stuff. And then, you know, then you had other guys here like Jake Cerny and Jake Stover and some other guys that had played ball around here. So, you know, I don't I don't think you ever say it's set. You want them, you know. Good thing about these guys, they're not complacent. You know, I told them every place I've been that you know we've had a championship program uh guys have had to come to work and compete for their job every day there was never no complacency setting in and these guys have done that these guys have bought into that you know and that's what we want we want to create competition and we want to create depth and that's kind of what we've been working for in camp and you know you can create depth in different ways you can have a two deep clear across the board or you can do it where you get guys that can play multiple positions. You know, like an you know NFL roster carries about eight offensive linemen, so you got on an active roster. So guys have to be able to play different positions, and you know we're kind of creating that now. You know, you see guys that are playing two, three different positions, which is also helping us create depth and competition. Yeah, I see uh, Green and Stover both are kind of moving around. You can use either one at center, couldn't you? It's a backup. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. KG can play center or play guard or center. Obviously, Stover can play center or guard. I mean, you got. Jake Cerny that can play both tackles and both guards. I mean, we're, we're creating some some good depth around here, so uh, that's good. Like I said, it's also you know made the kids and they know they got to compete, so which is just going to make us better in the end. Bob McLean is with us, a line offensive line coach. You talked about the system and knowing the system. How important or how big of a deal is that? Can you transplant five offensive linemen into an entirely new system, and could they adjust pretty quick? Well, I mean, there's it, obviously the adjustments. I mean, like, everything's different that goes with, with systems. It's not only just the knowledge of the system, but there's techniques and fundamentals that go along with systems. So that's the thing when, when you change systems and that type of deal and you have background in certain systems. It's not only, okay, you know, this is more, more this type of scheme or this type of system. you got to know the little fundamentals and techniques and tweaks that go along with teaching that system every day. You know, not just as far as running a play, but footwork, hand placement, hats, all the little things that go along with it. When you're out recruiting, is it enough to find 
a good lineman and then adapt him to the system, or is there a prototype you need for an offensive lineman? Uh, you look for an O-lineman that fits your system. You know, in our system, we're, we're a zone team, so our kids got to be able to run. They got to be athletic. We're not a team. We're not going to sit and just come straight off the ball and block you all day. You know, where you, the, you know, some of the teams will, you know, get the bigger, stronger kid that just sets and comes straight off. You know, we want them big and strong, obviously, but they got to be able to move. They got to be able to move laterally and they got to be athletic. So that's the biggest thing. You know, that's a little different in some places. We got to have athleticism, but we want them smart. We want them tough, all that kind of stuff, too. And, Want them to be, you know, coachable and and that. So yeah, we do recruit for for a specific system. Is it fair to ask when you have Pawsuski back, uh, Pawsuski? It's hard to pronounce, but he's been out for the last week, and it looks like he's about ready to come back. Yeah, yeah, he's getting close. So we're, we're excited, excited getting back. You know, he's a. One thing we've got in that room is we've got a really good culture right now. We've got guys, you know, the leader. It's leadership by committee. You know, there's all them guys in there. They're totally bought in. They, they want great things for this program. They want great things for the offense. They want great things for their unit and that unit and that order, you know. So we've got really good leadership. And he's one of those guys that fits in that mold, that, that leadership by committee. So I'm really happy. I mean, they're doing a really good job, those older guys, of setting the standard for the young guys, you know. And that's a big thing, you know. When, as a coach, when you've got older guys that are helping set the culture for the young guys, you know, that helps get things going in the right direction. But, yeah, he's, he's one of those right in that group, so we'll be, we're excited to get him back. You produced a 1,000-yard uh, rusher last year, which is always good for the offensive line. They like that. But you, you had a running quarterback in Bush. Now, can you do that again, and how much does it change with, let's say, Peters or Robinson at the, at the, at the helm? Well, I think, you know, your offense doesn't have to change completely. You know, you, you know, Rod would do a good job of, of here. Do, you know, he's been through this before. You know, all his years of coaching, he's had different quarterbacks. You know, at West Virginia, we've had the Pat Whites that were, you know, more of the running type deal, what you're talking about. But, you know, at different places he's been and, and different stops, he's had guys that were more of maybe more throwers than, than runners. And there's certain ways you don't have to change the whole offense at all, but there's a certain way to tweak it to fit his strengths if that makes sense. Here at a windy training camp uh, for Illini football with Bob McClain, Kendrick Green, uh, heard a lot of praise for him. Uh, what's his ceiling? It's very high because of his work ethic. You know, yeah, he's, he's a great talent. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But, you know, there's a lot of great talents throughout the country that, you know, may not do is achieve what they should in life because of what the, you know, how, they don't apply to apply it, you know. And the thing that's great about KG is he's got a great work ethic to go along with his talent. I mean, he comes to work every day with his hard hat on. I mean, ready to go to work. I mean, he wants to get better. He's hungry to get better, you know. And you know, fundamentals and techniques. He's huge on, you know. If I say step the right foot six inches, he's he's focused on that, you know. So the ceiling's high. Whenever a guy's got a huge, you know, he's got a lot of talent and they got a great work ethic. And they're hungry and got a great passion to go with it. He's got, he's got that. So it seems like there might be a few guys on this offensive line that end up playing on Sundays somewhere, you think? I mean, yeah, there's some guys that's got the potential to do that. There's no, you know, nothing guaranteed and you can't yeah. foresee the future and all that. But there's definitely some guys that have the potential to do that if they keep working and, and you know, keep focused and keep their minds right, which I'm sure they will because they're great, you know, they're great kids like that. So there's a there's possibility definitely there. I got one last question. If I said pass blocking, run blocking, which do you prefer? Which are you best at? Which do you need work at? <laughs> it's 
always love as an o-line coach you always want to run block because you <laughs> always want to run the football you always want to do that i mean you're as an o-line and o-line coach you have to have that mentality you got to think always think run first you know and and championship teams you know and that's where we're on the same page coach rod and i too i mean you always championship teams and good offense you're going to be able to run the football well you know and you think they, there'll ever be another offensive lineman that weighs less than 300 pounds i looked i, I looked up wisconsin they got 14 players that weigh over four 300 pounds <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy nowadays. But you know, it's if the, it's more about you know what fits each kid. You know, if a kid can play at 280 and 285 and get the job done and it fits his frame, then then let's go with it. But if a kid can carry 310 and play with it and it works for him, let's roll with that too. You know, so it's more about what fits the individual. You know, your life, your trajectory is taking you to a lot of stops. How's it been to be in Champaign now for a couple of seasons? Does it feel like you've established yourself a little bit here just in terms of life? Yeah, no doubt. You know, there's good, really good people here. And, you know, like I said, it was an easy transition, you know, coming in with Rod. Rod and I have, you know, such a background together for years. And then, and then all the rest of the staff. I mean, you know, uh, there's other people on the staff that I've, that I've had backgrounds with, and you know, for years and that type of stuff. So, and, you know, Coach Lovey Smith's a great man to work for. So, you know, really, really enjoy our staff, really enjoy the university, and, and really like the town. You know, you see, I've been in other places like this, and it's college town, and it's college football, and, and that's a really a family, warm-feeling atmosphere. So, yeah, I'm enjoying it. What do you want to see in the next couple, couple of weeks of closed practice before the opener? Just what we've been doing. We've been progressing every day, you know, progression and consistency. You know, I tell the kids all the time, I say, you know, the biggest thing in life that everybody wants from somebody is consistency, you know, whatever you're doing in life. And what I've seen in the past, you know, a few days and all that, you know, well, throughout throughout the majority of camp is I've seen progression, us going in the right direction, which is what we want, getting better every day, not just come out and being, you know, staying the same. You know, I always say you're either getting better, staying the same, or getting worse. And our goal is to get better every day. And that we've been doing, and I've seen more consistency coming. So if we can keep going that every day, we'll be all right. Bob McLean, offensive line coach for University of Illinois football team. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Take care. Good seeing you guys. Bob McLean, nice guy. I, I find him very down-to-earth, easy-to-talk-to kind of guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he, he's very good. And, and he's uh, he's got – you know, a lineup that's all set for him as as he came in. I mean, to take over this year with uh, assuming Pettibone can handle the uh, the guard spot handled by that was previously uh, Allegretti's slot. Uh, they've got a set unit, and the, the, <laughs> without jinxing them, it's an area where all twelve guys last year, all twelve games, they all five the five guys started. They they had the same five starters every game. If you can have that again this year, the offensive line will be pretty effective. The the drop-off is pretty severe from first team to second team, although they've got a couple guys like Cerny, who's getting a lot of work this past week, and maybe Stover, who looks to me to be improved. Slaughter. Yeah, Slaughter's been hurt the last 10 days. I mean, he he hadn't been out there. I mean, number 66 was – I saw him yesterday. Uh, He's – Starting to run better on the sideline, but he hasn't been in practice. But I know they they have hopes for Slaughter. I think you're right that down the road he could be a pretty good player. But he's a red shirt freshman and probably won't play this year unless somebody gets hurt. Red Grange, he was a good football player. 
We'll hear a little bit about a new book with uh, Chris Willis, who's the head of the Research Library for NFL Films. He's written this new book on him. Just uh, give you a little insight onto that book. I guess uh, Red Grange had a pretty good Illinois football career, too, as well as his NFL career. So we'll talk to him about that right, right after this. Saturday Sports Talk on a rainy Saturday morning. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Appreciate you joining us. Wish the rain would have been on maybe any other day but Saturday morning, but that's all right. Chris Willis is an author and works with NFL Films, is the resident historian. He's a winner of numerous Emmys, including most recently HBO's Hard Knocks training camp with the Houston Texans. And he has recently written Red Grange, The Life and Legacy of the NFL's First Superstar. He will be on campus, University of Illinois, Memorial Stadium in November to talk about the book and more in the life of Red Grange. But he joins us right now from New Jersey in the midst of working on some hard knocks programming right now. Is that right, Chris? Uh, yes, it never ends uh, through training camp with the Raiders. But uh, I'm happy to be uh, talking about Red Grange, uh, the Galloping Ghost. I, I've heard biographers say when they cover or write a book about somebody they didn't meet or know, you know, that predated them, that they still feel like they they get to know the subject. Do you feel like you know Red Grange, like you knew him as a person through your work? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, being uh, here at NFL Films and, and knowing a little bit about his history, but uh, when three years ago when I sort of agreed to, to write this book, uh, I sort of jumped in full tilt. And, and, yeah, at the end of the process, you know, you, f- you feel like you're much closer to him, uh, speaking to family members, going through the microfilm, going through game-by-games, uh, interviews done by him, uh, just finding any information. Uh, yeah, I think you sort of, you know, live with him and you feel like, yeah, yeah you got to know him uh, very well. And this is in conjunction with the – NFL's 100th season, but, you know, Red Grange has been covered before. What were you trying to do in your book and and bring to light? Well, uh, obviously the 100th season and also college football's 150th season, you know, um, was sort of the hook, you know, like, okay, let's look back and here's the first superstar, you know. Uh, but I also felt like in some of the previous written material, a lot of things were just glossed over or not even touched, you know. Uh, you know a few examples, one was like his mother, you know. Uh, they always said, oh, she, he, she passed away when he was, you know, six years old. Then he moved to Wheaton, you know. Well, there was a lot more there, you know. I found, you know, some quotes and, and some people t- that that had knew her as sort of a, a tomboy and he sort of got some of his athletic ability, you know, from his mother, you know, more than his father, you know, that she played sports and she played, you know, softball and stuff like that. So those were types of things. And also certain things like his, his radio and TV career much later, you know, people sort of just gloss over it. Like he had a, you know, almost two decades of being one of the first, you know, NFL players, like now, you know, it's common, you know, the Tony Romo's of the world, you know, they can go straight from the field to the broadcast booth. Well, Grange was the first player to do that. It was mainly, you know, the Red Barbers of the world, you know, and the Mel Allens that would, would just had the great voice. Well, he was the first player that did play-by-play and jumped into the booth. So those things were kind of glossed over, and obviously trying to find as much as I can about his playing career that hadn't been touched on to sort of give the entire picture and not just, you know, the handful of games that everybody thinks they were, you know, know about. Well, Chris, this is Lauren Tate. Uh, Red Grange had a fantastic Illinois career, Illini career, and that exhibition tour was unbelievable that followed after the season. 
my question to you is, how really good was he as a as an NFL offensive player? I know. I mean, how did the the knee injury play into his career, and how did it affect it? Well, that's a good question, Lauren. Yeah, uh, you know, especially with the NFL's hundredth season, like he was the first superstar. You know, coming from Illinois, his main sort of what grabbed the headlines was his long distance run. He sort of put the long distance run to go, you know, from goal line to goal line into play. It's more like a you know three yards in a cloud of dust at that time, but. The knee injury definitely hampered him as a long-distance runner. Like, he never hardly had any runs, you know, that especially that went for touchdowns that were longer than 20 or 30 yards. Um, so the knee injury definitely took that away from him. But so off, as an offensive player, he was probably just average, you know, uh, especially even after the injury. But what made him – uh, sort of elevate as an NFL player was as a defensive player. You know, I've, I've read many articles and many quotes from players who played against him that defensively he had a great mind. He could you know, read passes and he could cover guys. You know, you know he could do that very well. So as a pro runner, he probably was just below average. You know, uh, but as a defensive player in the NFL, he was probably one of the best in, in the first you know two decades. Uh, how uh, do you recall exactly uh, when he was, How long did he play, and did he miss a year because of the injury? He did. He played uh, twenty-five. It was the barnstorming year, and then he, he left and started his own league in twenty-six and twenty-seven. He played for the New York Yankees, and then twenty-seven was the year he blew his knee out. So there was three pro years there. He sat. He sat out the entire 1928 season, and then Hallis brought him back. Thought he could still be a really good player. He loved that he was intelligent, he was a smart player, and also that his name could still bring fans out to the stadiums. So from 1929 to 1934, uh, he finished playing with the Bears. So I believe that's nine total uh, pro years. Did he actually have surgery on the knee, or did he just uh, kind of ride it out? He did not. You know, at that time, uh, what he was told in a lot of the interview quotes I found, doctors told him if you had surgery, you probably wouldn't play again, and then you might not even walk. You know, it was so Ooh. early. It was so early in, in sort of you know repairing knees that that was not even an option. So, nope. He let it rest. He let it. He played through it initially, and then he had the year off, and he sort of rehabbed a lot, which he said through golf. You know, just had the knee, you know, put the knee in motion and, and got some exercise that way. And that sort of just rehabbed it itself, you know, and he, but never had surgery any time in his life on the knee. We're talking with Chris Willis. He's head of research library, NFL films, and he's written a new book called Red Grange, the life and legacy of the NFL's first superstar in conjunction with the NFL's 100th season. And of course, college football's 150th, and obviously with a big statue outside Memorial Stadium in Red Grange's honor, the Galloping Ghost, very relevant to us. Uh, you will be here in November to talk a little bit more about him, right? What will you try to do there? Yes, I think um, the plan is to do something there at Memorial Stadium. Uh, I think there's a, a small event being planned. Um, I'm not sure if it's called a Red Grain Symposium. <laughs> uh, they're still working on the details, but something on campus. Uh, uh, I think it's like November 14th is, is the date we're shooting for. Yeah, and just to talk more about his life and and uh, what you learned about him. Yes, it's sort of a little celebration. I think that's the actual week of Illinois' bye week, so they thought that it would work in well, you know, with, with no game, you know, um, you know, leading into the weekend, you know, where you're distracted or it's a road game. So, uh, so we'll talk a little bit about, you know, Red Grange. 
Well, Chris, did you find any film on him from college? Is, is all the film that you were able to garner uh, from his pro career? Uh, no, was able to find some from, from college. The University of Illinois uh, doesn't have much, but they did have, um, uh, I think, an Illinois, I mean, an Iowa game. Uh, and then, obviously, you have some of the, the Michigan game where he scores the five touchdowns. Uh, some of that footage has survived. Uh, but there's not a lot. It's just, just uh, even as big as he was and some of the newsreels covered him, um, it's tough to find full games. Now, his NFL career, we have even less. We, we just have, like, the newsreel from uh, his first game, you know, uh, as a pro. Uh, there's just a, a handful of shots from there. Uh, and then there's some games in the 30s, but, so, but not a lot uh, not a lot of either or. <laughs> did, did you check places like Penn State or, or, you know, places where he was on the road that they might have had film? Or Yeah, we did check for, at some of the other universities. Uh, it's just at that time, you know, it was not something uh, – obviously they might have shot some of it, but they just didn't keep it their thoughts yeah. ahead enough. Yeah. You know, even in the 20s, you know, even as big as he was, it's just football footage was not as preserved as, as some of the other sports. Some of these football teams now are, are getting into video. They're starting to use it. <laughs> you think yeah. so? Yeah. It's been a new, it's a new phenomenon. Chris Willis, uh, author of Red Grange, The Life and Legacy of the NFL's First Superstar. You can find it on Amazon. Out in print yet? Yes, it just was released uh, this week. All right. So it's hot off the presses. <laughs> Congratulations. Really appreciate you spending some time with us, and all the best on your next endeavors, all right? Oh, thanks, Lauren, and uh, Scott, thanks for having me. We appreciate it very much. That's Chris Willis. He's on Twitter, too, at CDWillis83. All right, Saturday Sports Talk. We're going up to the top of the hour. Take our final break. If you have any last words, questions, texts, you can get them in now, and we'll try and get them on the air. Ten fifty six DWS Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Got time for a question here before we say goodbye for this morning. Marty's with us. Good morning, Marty. Morning, Scott. Morning, Lauren. How are you guys doing today? Good. You got a question or a comment? Just uh, hop to Quick it. Comment, we'll... Scott. Yeah. Quick comment. Um, the, the key to filling in for legends is do no harm, and you've acquitted yourself quite well. Good show <laughs> today. You didn't mess anything up, and that's the key. And Lauren, you noticed some of the things Bernie and I talked about last week have come true this week. So, you know, maybe Bernie knows a thing or two. Yeah, I think he does. Yes, he does. You guys, uh, great show. Thanks a bunch. Good job, Scott. Oh, pre- Maybe Kelly will want to play golf on a few more Saturday mornings. <laughs> I, I don't know Bye-bye. if my I don't know if my wife wants Steve Kelly to play a few more rounds of golf. So, <laughs> thanks a lot, Marty. Do appreciate it. Bye bye. Castle Heating and Cooling text line is three five one five three five seven. We talked about the box scores there at FightingIllini dot com from Italy. Uh, another basketball question: Did Bernard Kuma and Benjamin Bossman's for Donk make the trip. Didn't see their name in the box scores. Benjamin Bossman's for Donk made the trip. They held him out. Yeah. Brad Underwood says it's precautionary. He says he'll be ready to go. He's got a, a slight fracture. Uh, I think that's pretty well healed, and he'll be back in September. When they, pra- when they start practice, he'll be full go. And Bernard Kuma, uh, we asked Brad Underwood in the first hour about it and said any word on him, and he said no. All indications are that Kuma won't be here. I mean, well, that's he, the indications. That's not the final word. That's just what it looks like. 
And that's unfortunate. Illini could use a little more depth. Well, you could use the body for practice, for goodness sakes. You know, I mean, you need, if you're going to, if you're going to have those two guys on the same team, uh, Kofi and Georgie, on the same unit, on the same five, you've got to have somebody guard them. All right, Illinois sports officially gets going this week with actual competition. Illini soccer will open on Thursday against Loyola. Uh-huh. That's on the 22nd, and that will start the 2019-2020 athletic campaign for Fighting Illini Athletics. Football is about two weeks away. Uh, yeah, two Saturdays from today, we're going to do it. Volleyball's just around the corner. Yep, they start the Friday before in Tennessee. Tim Dittman on on the call. By the way, it's great to hear you yesterday morning on Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian, reminiscing with Dave Lone and wishing him well. Yeah. Uh, we had a nice send-off for him Thursday night at Scotty's Brewhouse, and uh, he's got a couple more mornings here next week. Tuesday, I think, is his last day. Yep, and then he's off to Michigan, so... Uh, Hats off to to a great guy who n- I said this uh, a couple of times and I didn't bring ego into it and I think you and I have met a few broadcasters with some ego. <laughs> well, and, you know it, it, it's it's obvious how well he did when you had, it takes three guys to fill, take his place and you're one of them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> what what Dave Lone did only one I can only do a third. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I think I'll get a few more bus trips out of it with the way baseball has a travel schedule. But yeah, that's all right. I, you know, I, the baseball team may be a little shaky this year. We've got a lot of young talent, a lot of really good young talent. May take a year, but uh, who knows? Sometimes they blossom early. Yeah, that would be fun. And I think the schedule is for them to be really successful again next year. But they like who's coming in. It's just a matter of can they gel as a young team. Yeah. So, all right, Lauren, thanks for the privilege. Okay. Sitting alongside. Thanks to our guests, Brad Underwood, Paul Sullivan, Scott Docterman, Bob McClain, and Chris Willis. We're a podcast, too. If you missed any of it, it'll be at WDWS.com pretty soon. This is News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana, a News Gazette media station. It's 11 o'clock. Have a great weekend.